your Bible with you and turn with me to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. And um, we are going to get into the word together. I want to say thank you to Pastor Zach uh, for preaching this last week. I took the week off as our son Jordan was here from Kansas City with uh, his wife and our two grandkids. We did our best to spoil them while they were here. It was a lot of fun. Three and a half year olds are pretty, pretty fun. Um, uh, Lucy, on the first day, she woke up and she came and she said to me, she calls me g So she said, g it was a mystery. And then I remembered I'm at your house. <laughs> she was pretty cute. Anyway. Um, you know, Paul in, in this passage is going to talk about um, suffering that we go through in this life hard times we go through, and it really builds on what he's already told us in Romans chapter 7 with a struggle with sin, but now he's offering us in chapter 8 a solution to the struggle, Uh, and the solution is the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Uh, The solution is the freedom that we have in Christ. Um, Maybe you've heard some bad answers to people when they ask why is there suffering in the world, Um, Maybe specifically, you know, why am I going through the suffering that I'm going through in my life? And the bad answers can be like, well, if you lived a better life, then God would be blessing you. These are bad answers. Um, If you were just claiming God's blessing more, then you wouldn't be having such a hard time. Uh, You're not praying right, or there must be some kind of sin in your life. These sounds like Job's friends. Um, Or you're getting payback, you always get what's coming to you, so it must be your fault somewhere. Maybe it was just a test. Oh, you know, we've all got to be careful when we give quick off-the-cuff answers that we think are going to maybe help people on some level or help them feel better, especially when they're going through suffering. One of the things that we know for sure is that the Bible does not give us any pat answers. Um, now, you've got this on your outline. The Bible doesn't attempt to provide complete explanations for all the suffering in the world. There are no simple formulas or pat answers that always apply. The Bible does give reasons uh, for suffering in general, uh, but the Bible never says, here's why this is happening to you in this particular instance. What, What the Bible does give is comfort. What the Bible does give us is hope so that we can make it to the end of our suffering. So let's see what Romans 8 says about this. Let's begin uh, at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Who hopes for what they have already, for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So one way or another, and you have this on your outline, everyone will suffer. And what Paul is trying to do is help us to see suffering from God's perspective, from God's point of view. I know that many of you have, because I've heard from many of you, have been watching this American Christian historical drama television series called The Chosen. Um, you know, they take a lot of liberties in there, but I think there are some, some good things. Uh, one of the scenes that, that hit me in particular was uh, one of Jesus' disciples, James, came to him. And James, uh, as a crutch, he's walking, he's limping. And he, he says to the Lord, Lord, you're sending us out with the ability to heal. And I know that I have that ability, but it's just difficult for me to imagine that in my condition, why you haven't healed me? And Jesus says to him, there are so many who can tell the story that they came to faith because God healed them. Your story is special because you know how to proclaim my message and still praise God in spite of the fact that you have not been healed. You know how to focus on so much more than the body. You can show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I can trust with this? And I think that's the divine perspective. The divine perspective is is that when you know you're going to spend all eternity with no suffering, then what you put up with down here is, is like nothing. That's what Jesus is saying to him. We will all go through the ups and downs of suffering. We will all struggle with that. And again, on your outline, what the Bible does provide is the hope that we need to deal with our suffering in passages like the one we're looking at this morning. Um, So if you look through this passage, you'll notice that there are three key words in in these verses. The first word is the word groan. Um, This word is used several different times. Verse 22, it says that the whole creation is groaning. Why? Because the world is messed up. We live in a messed up world. Um, Because of the curse of sin, the world is not working the way it should be. And so it groans. And verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So Paul is comparing the world that, uh, the, the world that's longing for God to show up to make things right again to a woman in childbirth. And so it's, it's hard now, that's the point, it's hard during the childbirth, during the labor pains, but joy is coming when the child is born. And verse 23 says, we also groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Um, have you ever felt like you weren't making any progress in your walk with God? 
Maybe it was frustrating with you. You've probably felt that way at some point or another in your life. I'm frustrated with, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere spiritually. I don't feel like I'm getting any better. Why can't I get my act together? Or you get frustrated because of a physical problem or physical pain that you're going through. My body's not working right anymore. And God groans. Verse 26, the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. And so there's different, three different ways groan is used. It's used, uh, creation groans, we groan, and, and God groans. And, and you know what this tells us is that it's okay to groan. Uh, Ray Stedman, uh, in his commentary on this passage, writes this. He said, our lives consist of groans. We groan because of the ravages that sin makes in our lives and in the lives of the people we love. We groan because we see gifted people who are wasting their lives and we would love to see something else happening. It's recorded that as Jesus drew near the tomb of Lazarus, uh, Stedman writes, he groaned in his spirit because he was so burdened by the ravages that sin had made in a believing family. He groaned even though he knew he would soon raise Lazarus from the dead. So he concludes, so we groan in our spirits. We groan in disappointment. We groan in bereavement. We groan in sorrow. We groan physically at our pain and our limitations. Life consists, he says, of a great deal of groaning. Paul's very realistic when he discusses suffering in this passage and groaning. It's okay to groan. It's expected. It's part of life. And we can groan even intensely. Another key word in this passage is the word wait. That's the second key word in this passage. Like the word groan, it's used three times. Um, Verse 18, actually that should be verse 19. As part of creation, we wait in eager expectation. We wait eagerly again in verse 23. And we wait patiently in verse 25. When you're in a lot of pain, you groan. And, And you have to also wait oftentimes. Sometimes wait a lot. Have you ever been in an emergency room and had to wait? Uh, Maybe for hours on end when you didn't want to wait and it was the longest, most frustrating, most irritating thing to have to wait when you don't want to wait. Waiting is hard. And the idea behind the word waiting is scanning the horizon, straining every muscle in your body to to try to see the dawn breaking. Uh, The Bible says that when you're in pain, One of the things that's the toughest is not just to wait, but to wait expectantly. There's a lot of groaning, there's a lot of waiting, and the third key word in this passage is the word that we need to help us wait expectantly, and that's the word hope. The word hope is used six different times. Twice as much as the other key words, because hope is what we need to make it. And maybe it's physical pain that you're going through or emotional pain or some type of economic or financial pain or some goal or whatever that there's usually waiting involved, isn't there? And there's often a lot of groaning involved and and we wonder how we're gonna make it. And well, we'll make it if we have hope. And here's why this is so important because hope is based on who God is. Hope is based on on the faithfulness of God's word, the reliability of his word. And the key word that's mentioned six times is not the word answers, it's the word hope. 
And it's the word hope because when you're going through pain and you think what you think what you need and what you're looking for desperately is answers. I want to know why. I want to know why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? And we think wrongly that if we get all the answers that we're going to feel okay. And you know what, what we find out is in the rare instances when we do get answers, it doesn't help all that much. It, it sure doesn't take away the pain. And even after you get all the answers, you're still going to need hope. You know, there's an American surgeon who uh, said this. He said, hope is the medicine I use more than any other. Hope can cure nearly everything. And the same doctor did a study of 600, 600 American prisoners of war uh, out of 4,700 that were captured by the North Koreans. And in talking with the surviving POWs, the doctor learned that about a third of those who died, died from what he called give up itis. They just lost hope. They became lethargic, they stared into space, they refused to eat or to drink. They, they died for no other apparent reason than they, they had no hope, they gave up. So the key question is this, in your pain, in your suffering, in the struggles that you're going through in your life, how do you get hope? Well, the key to coping with suffering is really one word, as you've got it on your outline, the word perspective. That's what Paul gives us here. It's like Jesus speaking to James, giving him an eternal perspective on his suffering. You've gotta be able to put your suffering into some kind of context into an eternal outlook. That's the context that we have as Christians. It's God's perspective that we're after. And this is where Paul is coming from in this passage. Look again at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings, what are your present sufferings? Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And you might want to circle at the beginning of verse 18 that word consider because that will help us in understanding the passage. The Greek word for consider, and this is on your outline, means to calculate or to analyze. So in other words, what Paul is saying, it's actually the word we get the word computer from. Um, it's the word logic. It's where we get the word logic from as well in, in Greek. But it, it, Paul is saying, I, I analyze, I'm seriously looking at what my suffering is all about. What he's saying is that considering doesn't come naturally. It doesn't flow automatically from our emotions. We've talked about before about Christianity being a thinking religion. We, we think about the word of God. We read the word of God. We, we study it. We, we learn how to take it and, and make it real and come alive in our lives. And so, we've got to force ourselves to think logically and theologically about putting our suffering in some kind of perspective. And this makes all the difference in the world. Paul had a, a, a tons to say about this. It basically, every, in every one of his letters, he deals with suffering, talks about suffering. I, this was not something he was seeking to be an expert in, but Paul was really an expert in suffering. How do you become an expert? Well, you do it a lot. What does Malcolm Gladwell say? He says you need 10,000 repetitions to do something well. Well, Paul had plenty of, of uh, experience with suffering. 
Paul actually gives his credentials, so to speak, his, his resume of suffering in uh, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to it. He says, five, time, five, five different times, the Jews gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I traveled many weary miles. I have faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the stormy seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be Christians, but are not. Man, that's some major suffering that Paul went through. And then later on, Paul talks about a cross he had to bear, a a thorn in his flesh. He said he asked the Lord three times to take it from him and heal him. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to heal you from it. And that's where Paul says, but 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 I'm made perfect in weakness. And, And God shone through Paul's weakness. Most scholars believe it was some kind of a degenerative, painful eye disease, maybe something like glaucoma. But this guy was an expert in suffering. But look at what he says in the same letter in 2 Corinthians. It's on your outline, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Wait a second. Light and momentary troubles? You know what he's calling light and momentary troubles? Beatings, being shipwrecked, being nearly stoned to death, the the physical problem with his eyes. Those are what he puts in the context and what he gives the perspective. These are light and momentary troubles. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So this is perspective here. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love the way one man put it. F.B. Meyer wrote this. He said, it's on your outline. If I am told that there is a rocky bit of road between here and my destination, I know that every jolt along the way is a reminder that I'm on the right road. That's perspective. That's what God is saying to us when we are going through hard times. Things that are really supposed to, things that will last, things that are, are important are the things we can't see. And the problem is we do the opposite that, we're, uh, that he's talking about. Because we live here, we have eyes, we live in a, in a physical world. But the problem is we look and focus on what's temporary. In fact, your problem is not really your problem. Your main problem is how you look at your problem. That's the problem. Don't ask me to repeat that. But Paul actually talks about suffering, like I said, in, in all of his letters. And, and now that you've basically, we've basically got his credentials, his perspective on this, let's look at four things from this passage that we put our hope in to give us that perspective. So what is our hope in suffering? Hope is an assured 
future. It's not something we hope that will, ha- will, will happen, that might happen or might not happen. No, we know it will happen because of who God is. We know it will happen because of the reliability of Scripture. So imagine two women. Uh, both of them have a purse. Uh, in that purse, they have all the assets, all their assets and all the money in the world. Uh, and we'll say that that's, just, just, that's all they have. They have it in cash. Uh, the difference is one woman knows that the next day, for some reason, $10 million will be wired into her bank account. And the other woman knows that there's nothing coming uh, from anybody in the indefinite future. So imagine these two women, they go out to downtown San Diego, they visit, and the same thing happens to both of them. They have the same experience. Both of them get their purses snatched away. They're lost, they're taken, they're stolen, they're gone. How are they gonna respond to that? Well, I can tell you the woman who knows that the next day $10 million is gonna come into her bank account, she says, oh man, what an inconvenience that my purse was stolen. Oh well. And the other woman? Total despair. Because it's all she had. Same circumstances, why is the response so different? Because what you know about the future completely determines how you process the present. Think about that. What you know about the future completely determines how you process what's going on in your life right now. We know the redemption of our bodies is coming because, again, it's, who God's, it's what God says in his word. That's our future. And if you know that and can be sure of it, and we can be sure of it, then we can face anything. That's what Paul's saying to the people in Rome. Because something a whole lot better than $10 million is coming into your bank account. And we're going to talk about that. But we need to keep reminding ourselves that the struggles we go through here, and this is number one, are only temporary. The struggles we go through here are only temporary. Verse 18 again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So when you look at how long you're going to live, in light of eternity, our problems here pale in comparison. What we suffer, verse 18, what we suffer now in 19 is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day. So even if I carry around my suffering every day for my entire life, that's nothing compared to the millions and millions of years that I will be with the Lord in heaven. And then the second reason he gives us that we can have hope is that the earth, we we know that the earth will be renewed. The earth will be renewed. And this is important. We can't miss this. Christianity does not teach that the earth and our bodies are going to be destroyed, ultimately. Ultimately, what's going to happen is you get your body back, but it's restored. And you get earth back. We get earth back, but it's made new. And here's why this is such an important truth. Because otherwise, sin wins. 
Otherwise, God kind of rescues your spirit, but the rest is a disaster. The earth is corrupted and gets destroyed. If that's, if that's what happens, sin wins. But sin doesn't win. God renews the earth. God has the ultimate victory. He makes it perfect. He makes it like Eden again. And here's another reason why this is important. If you don't teach this, you end up with some kind of belief that the material world is evil. You get, sometimes you get that from Christians. Sometimes you'll get that from other religious systems. But the material world isn't evil. God created it. It's a good thing. He looked at all of creation. And what did he say? It's good. It's under the curse right now, but it's good. And God is going to renew it one day. That's his promise. I I love the way the Bible emphasizes the fact that it's temporary, that the earth is, is temporary and will be renewed. Look at verses 20 and 21. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. That means that what, when God first created the world, it was a good world. The world started off right. God looked at everything and it was perfect. And then sin entered to the world and ever since then, it's been decaying. And so we had a good world and now we have a groaning world. The world is groaning. The Bible teaches that the world is not evolving, it's devolving. But one day, the whole earth will be made new. And I think this is really critical to understand. And you have it in another passage that's on your outline in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I, I heard a, a preacher from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee say one time, those are shouting words. Uh, can I have an amen? Amen to all of that, right? The whole earth is distorted. And a third thing that we can be hopeful about is that we get new bodies. One day we're trading in our bodies for a new improved model. I'm confident that they'll have hair. I can't wait. New bodies, think about that. That's perspective. We get new bodies. And I have to tell you that I think most able-bodied people miss this, but, but look, what's, look what's in verses 22 and 23, the hope that we have. All creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too anxiously wait for that day when God will give us the new bodies he promised. Wow, new bodies. You know, uh, uh, there was a wise man who once had a friend who was going through a very difficult time. And his friend, instead of saying, I wish I'd never been born, he said, I wish I'd never been made. You ever said that? I had somebody say that to me this week. 
It's sad. But the wise man said to his friend, you know what? You're not made yet. You're being made. You are being made in part by your suffering. You're being made in part by the loving hands of God you're being made. And one day what you will become will be revealed. That's the truth of scripture. We are being made, but one day we will get new bodies. And then one last thing that we ought to, that ought to give us hope is that God understands. That's number four in your outline. We groan inside. We say, Lord, what can I say? How can I pray for myself? What can I say to this person who's hurting so much that I love so much? How can I pray for them? I don't know. But look at verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our distress for we don't even know what we should pray for or how we should pray. Man, I love how the Bible is just so honest about this, how Paul is so honest. It's like Paul is saying, I've gotta be honest with you, sometimes I don't even know how to pray. And to me, that's liberating. Paul, the most, one of the most godly men who's ever lived, says that I don't even know how to pray. Again, verse 26 and 27, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. Have you ever been in a situation where there's so much heartache that even prayer is, it seems like too much effort? And you just, maybe all you can offer to God is groaning. But the Holy Spirit takes that and interprets it perfectly to the Father. And so you have this on your outline. God understands the aches of your heart even when you can't verbalize them. That's hope. That's the hope that we all need. Verse 26, we do not always know what we ought to pray for. But the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us by God to assist us in many ways, but one way is in prayer. There's a Dr. George Brown who discipled many young men and, and um, he found out he had Alzheimer's. He had poured his life out to so many mentoring them in the, in the faith. And he still had some good times of lucidity and while he was having those, his friends wanted to put on a celebration for him um, before they knew he wouldn't even be able to participate. He was talking less and less, mumbling more and more. All his friends had great things to say about him and this celebration. At the end of the program, Dr. Brown, who had a great singing voice, um, was scheduled to sing Precious Lord. And his friends didn't know if it could happen. But his wife of more than 50 years, who also had a good singing voice, walked up to the mic with him. And here's the way it was described. His wife gave him the mic and the organist played. And it was time for him to sing. She whispered in his ear, Precious Lord. And he sang, Precious Lord, take my hand. He sang, take my hand. Lead me on. 
And he's saying, lead me on. And she just kept feeding him the words and standing alongside of him and helping him. And when he didn't have the words, she would take the mic and sing the song that he couldn't continue. And she'd finish it. And I think that's what happens when the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't have the words to pray. He's right there beside, of, beside us, helping us and encouraging us and, and then taking over and praying for us. The Spirit will take our mumbling and he'll clarify it to God exactly according to the will of God and what God means for us. And so the Spirit literally joins to help us in expressing for us what we cannot fully express for ourselves. And so God says to you this morning, whatever is in front of you, I want to give you my strength. Talk to me. Groan with me. If you don't know how to say it, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will take over and interpret that to the Father. So why is there suffering in the world? Somebody asked that question to Dorothy Sayers, who was a Christian. She was a mystery writer, British. And she had a great response. She said, you know, I don't know why God allows so much suffering in the world. But one thing I do know is that by sending Jesus to die and suffer for us, he took his own medicine. So will you be committed to praying this week to, to living in an attitude of prayer, setting aside time of prayer daily to spend with him, but also living in an attitude of prayer throughout the day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, yeah, we want to especially lift up this morning those who are going through a time of groaning, who've been waiting you see what they're going through. Give them, give all of us, Lord, the wisdom to see our lives and our situations from your perspective. Thank you for the framework that we have in Scripture. Help us to realize that you see it and you care. And when I groan, you groan and interpret those prayers perfectly to the Father. We know, Lord, that you have the power to change our situation, but more than changing our situation, Lord, we ask that you would change us. Make us like Jesus. I know you're in that process. Help us to keep that perspective. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. There's someone here this morning who has never made a commitment to you, never asked you to be the Lord of their lives, Lord. Right now, would they respond in faith? and receive you right now as Savior and Lord. Have the promise of eternal life. If you've never, never put your faith in Christ, you can pray right now, God, I wanna make you the Lord of my life. I love you. Thank you for sending Jesus as my way to heaven to die on the cross for me, be resurrected for me. I don't understand it all, but I believe that I'll be there in heaven because of you. Lord, help me to focus my entire life on you. Help me to be focused on eternity. Help us all, Lord, to, to know what's really important. In Jesus' name we pray.
So from the end of, of Romans 15, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Please don't leave without greeting the people around you and uh, thank you so much for being here.